Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder, one more time coming at you through the miracle of Al Gore's internet, uh, where we're going to stream this conversation uh, out there to coon hunters around the world. We've got a great guest today, a fellow that I've known for a long time, but haven't talked to him in quite a while. So this is kind of going to be a, a catch-up session uh, today. Uh, I will briefly mention, as I always do, uh, the folks at DU Supply, DU Hunting Supply, uh, out in the state of Washington, Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, and all of the staff out there. Uh we want to thank them for making the podcast possible. If you need anything at all in the line of hunting gear for you or your hounds, uh, dusupply.com. All right. Today we're going to jump on our uh, horse and ride off in all directions. I promise you. Uh, we've got a guest here that I used to call him the mayor of Blue Eye, Missouri, but he tells me he's moved. And he's uh, about three miles across the line in the great state of Arkansas, which I am looking forward to in about 25 days from the time I'm talking to you right now, going on our annual trip to the White River National Wildlife Refuge down there in, uh, in eastern Arkansas. But I'm just so, so happy to welcome to the podcast today my longtime friend, Junior Lassiter. How you doing, Junior? Well, I'm fine, Steve. I'm I'm doing real good. I'm just uh, appreciate the health the Lord's given me and and what I've been able to do and still able to do. Well, that's great. Well, Junior, we don't have, you know we're not going to be modest on this podcast. We're going to cut right to the chase. How old are you now? Seventy-two. I'll be seventy-three March eighteenth. All right. Well, I've got you by about three years. I I just had my 76 here in in the month of October. Well, you're sounding good. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. This old lady ain't always cracked up to me, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> well, it beats the alternative, doesn't it, brother? Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Well, you know, Junior, I, I think everybody in the Kunal world has heard your name at one time or another. And I know that you are, uh, as most of us are nowadays, we're active on social media, maybe Facebook or, or one of those, or maybe on online with one of the message forums. But uh, you've been around the sport for a long time. And uh, as we were talking there just before we started to record, um, your family, I know that your dad was a coon hunter. Uh, tell me a little bit about your family background, about your folks and, and your family, and then we'll get into the main event, which is always when coon hunters get together, that's talking dogs. But uh, tell yeah, me a little bit I of background on the Lassiter family. Well, uh, I was born in Mammoth Springs, Arkansas. That's uh, over in Fulton County, about uh, three miles south of the – I was born about three miles south of the Arkansas-Missouri line at Mammoth Springs, and I live about three miles south of the line at Oak Grove, Arkansas now. So I didn't I didn't stray far from the line there. <laughs> but uh, my, my mom and dad, uh, I, was, I was born to a Pentecostal preacher uh, and his wife, and uh, they – dad had been – started preaching out of high school. Mom was from Batesville, Arkansas, and Dad was from Mammoth Springs, Arkansas, and they met uh, 
at a youth rally in Batesville, Arkansas, at the Pentecostal church down there, and they started dating, and then not long later, they got married, and uh, in April, and I, and I, I'm, I'm not sure, 49, I think, I believe it was, but I was born uh, in March, about a year, a little over a year later, and, uh, but I'm just, uh, I, I grew up, I was born in my great-grandfather's in a log house south of Mammoth Springs, Arkansas, that was built by my great-grandfather, my grandma Laster's dad, a preacher, J.F. Moran. And uh, he, he built that, cut the logs with a cross-cut saw. And I was born in that house and grew up down. Our dad took Bowman Pentecostal Church at Blue Eye, Missouri, just before I turned five years old. I and uh, Yeah, and th- and. And we, in October of 54, and uh, they pastored that same church 57 and a half years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. They had a radio broadcast. Yeah, they had a radio broadcast on Branson Radio Station uh, for over for over 40 years and uh, almost 50, I think. But anyhow, Table Rock Lake went in, and, and it was just a travesty. People... Uh, the Sunday, this is this will kind of fill you in. A Sunday before, after Table Rock Dam was built, before people couldn't get to the to the church, the old road, old eighty six, they had to. It was forty something miles around, or go the other way and ride the ferry across. That Sunday before the lake backed over the Long Creek Bridge, we had a hundred and forty one in Sunday school and church. The next Sunday. When the lake backed over the Long Creek Bridge, we had 41. Wow. That's, that's how many Yeah, it really impacted the people. Yeah. I've yeah. often wondered about when those dams are built and, and lakes, and, of course, they talk about, I'm sure, is the Table Rock Lake, is it a hydroelectric dam there? Do they, yeah, they it's generate? Yeah, it's a hydroelectric dam, and it's backed up off of white, the old the White River. That's what that's yeah. what it backed up was the White River. I got gotcha. you. Well, uh, I know that also uh, another happening uh, came to pass there in your area that had to greatly impact uh, that whole area would be the 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 growth of Branson, Missouri. Uh, yeah. How far away are you from there? Yeah, that that was amazing. Silver Dollar City. Yeah, is the key to this Ozark Mountain area as we know it right now. Branson, you know, was just a nice little quiet town down on White River, and they'd come from all over to trout fish and stuff. Then the lake went in, and uh, but then, you know, that changed everything. Tiny Como Lake in Bra- goes through Branson is, is the old White River, and then they started building this, and they started building that and motels. And then, and then... The Bob Bobolinks Country Music Show and the Presleys out on the 76th Strip out east, uh, I mean west of Branson, when those two music shows went in and started advertising and people started coming from everywhere in the in the United States and out of the United States mm-hmm. to see the two big music show, country music shows, and, and that's what Branson just went boom. I remember when you start out 76, when you got a half a mile out 76 highway, you was out of Branson. Now 
you can go from branching to branching west and you're in town all the way and that's about 16 miles wow that's amazing well i have yeah. not personally been to branson and uh of course i enjoy music i always have but and that's kind of on the bucket list for ellen and me but we haven't made it out there that that far yet i've become very fond of the state of arkansas through our trips down to uh, maddox bay and down on the white river there oh, yeah. uh you know around dewitt and uh and uh, uh clarendon and and st charles and all those areas well junior you know we um i think first met when i was with the ukc i came to yeah. work at ukc in 1983 uh, full-time, and I know you and I used to spend a lot of time on the phone. We talked a lot, and back in those days, you were quite active. You were showing and hunting and all that. Well, coon hunting, uh, in your background, it has to go all, uh, back a long way. Uh, when did all that begin for you? i tell you, a, a, a preacher, Pentecostal preacher lady at Mammoth Springs, her husband raised Red bones. Uh, he Bob Hatfield. Her, her name was Sister Rosie Hatfield, and Bob Hatfield raised red bones. They didn't have a clue who UKC was, and the rest of these bunches wasn't even thought about. But one day, she was holding a revival at Field Creek Pentecostal Church, where mom and dad, where dad went, and and his mom and dad. That was their home church. But she, dad was about seven or eight years old. And Brother Rob come to church one Sunday morning, and he asked Grandma and Grandpa if they cured for Dad having a dog. Well, no, we don't guess so. So anyhow, he they, he asked Dad, and oh man, Dad just in on it, and he didn't even this way long before the red where the red fern grows. But uh, the next Sunday, he brought Dad a pair of red bone coonhound puppies. They was one. The female was about six or seven weeks old, and the male was about three months old. And mm-hmm. when and Dad just went to squirrel hunting them, you know, and stuff like that. And they just went to treeing, and that was the basis of of Dad's coon hunting and him starting right there. I got you with red dogs. I would have thought it'd been Walker dogs. No, we we started with red bones, and, and we'll get into that in a minute. But when we moved up, when they moved to Blue Eye, Dad had a pair of red bones that was out of that same bloodline. He he had one named Bugle and one named Queen, and and they was a generation or two apart before he felt like he could, you know, cross them and breed them. And he took Queen and bred to Dale White, had a red bone dog or gray dog out here the other side of Blue Eye. He'd, he'd hunted with Dale, and Dale hunted with him. You know, the guys all in this country, there's several coon hunters, but they just all hunted together. Dwayne Flowers of mm-hmm. the Blue Tick Breeders Association mm-hmm. was one of them that, that was one of them that Dad first started hunting with here in this country. I he see. had them blue ticks. And I mean them as good ones too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I remember but, Dwayne for sure yeah, back in my UKC days. That was one of yeah, that was one of the first, you know, that was one of the first right there. But I then see. it just evolved and dad made that cross. And in seventy four, I think, we took we called him Lassiter's Red Ranger, took him to Rogersville, Missouri, and hunted him 
to single registering for Raymond Crow for R.C. Crow mm-hmm. to single register Lassiter's Red Ranger, and that's the first registered coonhound we ever owned. I see, and you said that was about 1972. I think I think it was 70. It, it was. It might have been 71 because oh, Joanne okay. and I got married in 72, and I think he was already mm-hmm. registered before then. So okay. it's probably 71. Well, yeah. Mr. Crow was a well-known Redbone man back in that era. I know that yeah, for bet. sure. Yeah. So you basically started hunting with your dad. Is that how it started with you? Yeah, it's yeah. I would go. I'm telling you, when I was five or six years old, and back then the deal was it wasn't wheat lights, it wasn't sunburst, it wasn't star fires or all this stuff. It was a carbide light and a three cell flashlight. Oh yeah, three and and I mean that's just if you yeah. run out of carbide or your light went out and your your trigger wouldn't work it sparked it you was just in the dark but uh that's why that's what we had that's all we had you yeah, know we didn't know exactly but uh we used it to the ultimate and uh but that's i started hunting when you was if you went coon hunting back then you loved the sport and you loved to be in the woods with your dogs and you had to love coon hunting because it it was a pleasure but it was just a whole lot like work you know. Yeah. Now you are in what we would call the Ozark Mountains, are you not? There ain't there? no doubt about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, I grew up in the mountains of West Virginia, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, yeah. But mountains are mountains. You know, when the dogs go up over the ridge and down the other side, down. Do you call them hollers over there, or do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I tell you what, I used to have, when we had old Flying Hawk and was advertising him and Bigger Staff Little Buck and Mundo Jr. and all them dogs I've had, I w- we would run an ad and we'd have people to come in here from Ohio, Illinois, you know, uh, all up north, Iowa and all them places like that. And they'd come down here to hunt with old Hawk. And we, you know, if they trade a coon, we just pulled up and you, you didn't have four wheelers and all that stuff. You had two legs and a stick if you needed it. <laughs> and, and we just pull up on top of one of these mountains and take off to them. And then <laughs> I can remember them guys would come in and we'd go hunting and we'd make a coon or tree or two. And we'd get back to the truck and them old boys would say, is this the only country you've got, type country you've got to hunt in? Uh, yes, sir, it is. Man, you sure do like to coon hunt. I wouldn't hunt here, and and I, I, you wouldn't believe the times yeah. I've heard. If I had to hunt in this country, I'd quit. But Well, but, I used but, to hear the same thing, but when you love it, you love the dogs, you love the outdoors and the whole experience. And then yeah. I imagine that you were probably like I was. You know, you had magazines. Did you? Did your dad take Full Cryer or American Cooner or Mountain Music or any of those when you were young? I think. Yeah, whenever I tell you the first full crime magazine I ever saw, I can remember it like yesterday. I was seven years old and we went to the barber shop at Blue Eye to get a haircut. And back to him, but Dwayne Flowers had brought two full crime magazines to the barber shop for people to look at. And I picked up one of them magazines. And I read that thing, and I asked the barber if I could if I could take it home with me. And Dad didn't really, but he said, "Well, yeah, let that boy take that book." So I ended up taking both of them. 
and I crammed Full Crime Magazine for about two or three weeks, and then... <laughs> Come to find out, I finally got to meet Dwayne Flowers and a, and a fellow that was like a god uncle to me in this country, Dale White, that had blue dogs back then, and he had a red bone, the one I told you that. And we ended up breeding one of our females to Dale's old red booger dog, and old booger he called him, and that's where we got <laughs> last year's Red Ranger, and that was the first, that was yeah, the first red uh, dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, those lifelines were, were uh, those magazines, I should say, were the lifelines to the sport. For me, when I was a kid in southern West Virginia, we were basically isolated from the coonhound world. Uh, my dad coming from Tennessee and being, uh, uh, you know, used to tree dogs, pre- predominantly uh, cur dogs, uh, you yep. know, he later got into the plot dogs and all that story. My listeners have heard that many times. But at any rate, we got all of our news. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have even a message board uh, uh, on a on a registry website. We had the magazine that came once a month. And that full crime yep. magazine, I remember it so well, came wrapped in brown paper. And uh, you had, it was kind of the wrapping was kind of intertwined into the pages and you had to be real careful about cutting it open that you didn't cut your magazine. And then you'd have to turn it up over and, and, and roll it the other way to kind of get it to flatten out so you could read it. (laughs) But the young people today, I absolutely don't understand that. We, I just did a podcast that will air uh, the week before this one and uh, uh, talking about uh, the 39th president of, of the United States, Jimmy Carter, and how that uh, Mark Israel from Georgia was a neighbor and he took the president coon hunting. But the point is that I asked a young fella that's a friend of mine and he and I actually partner on a dog. The other day, and he's in his late 20s, I said, do you know who Jimmy Carter was? He said, no, sir. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you don't know who Jimmy Carter was? And, I, of course, he was probably thinking about coon hunting. That's all he thinks about. But yeah. he's thinking about coon hunting when he should have been listening to his civics lesson or his, his history yeah, lesson. Farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at yeah. any rate, uh, the younger people, Junior, Probably can't relate to what we're talking about here with these carbide lights and all this stuff, but that was very, very much a part of the sport. That was that was cutting edge. That was high tech. If you had a carbide light, you know, I guess that'd be the, an old two cell flashlight, you know, uh, with yeah, batteries. Well. Did you ever warm the batteries on the stove so the, to charge them? You, you ain't a kid, buddy. <laughs> yes. yes, sir. You got all out of them. You got all out of them you could. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, they was like gold back then, you oh, know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, most people out there that know you, and, and you've been such a, uh, a really uh, an iconic figure in the, in the coonhound world for a number of years, uh, associate you with the Walker dogs. Now, when did yeah. that first uh, come in to play in your in, coon hunting experience? In 19, let's see, 19, 
70, I don't know, but anyhow. <laughs> One of those a years. Friend but... of dad's, a friend of dad's from Memphis, Tennessee. His name was T.L. Green. He had a friend there in Memphis by the name of Rufus Duncan. Well, Mr. Duncan had got a pair of pups out of one of them was out of uh, uh, Merchant's Bali, mm-hmm. and one of them was out of Buck Creek King. A female okay. was out of Buck Creek King, and the male was out of Merchant's Bali. And he bred those two and brought and and come up here. T.L. brought him up here. He wanted him to come to Blue Eye and meet Raymond Lassiter, you know. And uh, so they come up here, and he brought a pair of pups out of them, too. One of them probably was the ugliest dog I ever seen. <laughs> we called them Jude and Bolly. Mm-hmm. And old Jude was snow white. She had one black spot on one side and two little black spots on the other side. She had two black ears. And her rest of her head and the rest of her body was white. Mm-hmm. Bolly, we should have named him Terrington. You know, uh, you, you saw that ad back there on them cigarettes. I'd rather fight a switch. Well, he had one black eye and one black come down over one of his eyes, and then he had a and then he had a half white face, and the other side was white. They, and the fact is, somewhere I still got pictures of them, but they was ugly. But I'm telling you, them was, and they never been hunting. We took them hunting with old Ranger and got them started, and buddy, they made coon dogs. Now, I mean, them things made coon dogs. And then we, that's <laughs> what we hunted. And then along, you know, a few years later, we graduated on up and, and, uh, Met met a guy down here, Ray Richardson, that had mm-hmm. old Richardson, Vicky, and okay, we met Ray down here at Harrison, Arkansas, at a hunt, and he had old Vicky's mother, and uh, that he had took over and bred the Fenner River Chief and got uh, got Vicky and them, and uh, but that that's that's what got us really started, uh, Mister Duncan, and then Ray and them in the Walker Dogs. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, these, these dogs I've got now, if you go back our ways, they go right back to old Vicky and that Hawk Jr. dog I had, uh, Table Rock Flying Hawk Jr. that I've done so much winning with. He was, he was out of Vicky and Sugarloaf Chief. Well, Chief was out of old Hawk. Tony Rogers' old chief dog, and that's that's what he was. That that's well. You're but, talking uh, some some old time breeding. Now we're talking. This is back in in the seventies, maybe the early eighties. Yeah, yeah. The in as earlier than that. It was back in. It started about sixty six, sixty eight. Because uh, mm. I graduated high school in sixty eight, and then. Uh, but I want. I it had come on down. It had come on down, and then. In set, we started. Uh, we had a good club here at Blue Eye called the Table Rock Sportsman Association, and and it was a coon hunting club, still is. Uh, but anyhow, we had a hunt. I started it when I was fifteen. I never will forget it. We had one out here at Blue Eye, Arkansas, the old school building, Arkansas school building in Blue Eye, before it consolidated in Missouri. 
and they, it was a kind of a community center. And we had one in that old two-story brick building, and we named it the, the Table Rock Sportsman Association Championship. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a king and queen of show, and then the next year we decided we'd call it the World Championship, and we had a king and queen of show, and we had some, I mean, we had some sure enough, we had guys coming from everywhere. James Merchant come, Ray Richardson come, of course. I mean, we just had people, uh, oh, I, I can't think of their names, I will here in a minute, but they just come from everywhere, and it just grew. In 60 uh in 68, we I called, I was 18, and I called Dr. Furman at UKC, and they wanted me to, and I asked him if we could call that hunt the UKC All-American Hunt and World Championship. And he said, well, I believe that's 66. He said, well, he thought about it a minute, and he said, you know, I really think that would be good if you will call, if you will have a king of show and a queen of show. He said, I don't want just one, but he said, if you'll do that, the next year we advertised it as the as the UKC King and Queen of the World show at Blue Eye, Missouri by the Table Rock Sportsman Association. And I mean, they people just went to coming. And in 71, we had to move it from Blue Eye to Green Forest, Arkansas, to the sale barn. And it was down there until until we got a call, uh, you know, from Fred and them. I don't know what time. It was in 71 or 2 whenever I got the call that we wasn't going to be able to advertise it anymore as king and queen of the world. And I think it's 72 UKC started. It, it uh, may have been uh, – actually, it may have been in 73 because that's the – the year that Fred Miller took over UKC in February of that year, and and I met him then in August at Plot Days in '73. Okay. So it, yeah. it may have been '73, uh, Junior. I think it was because because I they called me. I really think it was it, whenever they started the UK the first year they started UKC World Show. Okay, now me. all right, now we got to go back here. The UKC World Championship Hunt started in 1978. We didn't have a UKC World Championship bench show no, until 1985, and that was in Columbia okay. City, okay. Indiana. Now, okay. they were calling Autumn Oaks the World Championship. That's you, what you know, it started in 1960, and they yeah. were calling it the Autumn Oaks uh, World Coonhound Championship. And oh, okay. I'm not That's sure what exactly was. what year they started. I know Autumn Oaks started in 1960, but it yeah. was, I think, may, maybe the next I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, but, that's what yeah. it was. That's what it was because they called me and told me that, look, you all have been advertising this and we can't have two UKC world show champions, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's, that's when, so, you know, we, that's when we moved it from Greenforce back to Blue Eye, our big clubhouse we had, and they took over. 
and uh, we've been calling ours Ozark Mountain Championship, uh, the Table Rock Sportsman Association Ozark, Ozark Mountain Championship for several years now. But well, that has a nice uh, ring to it. I like the sound of that. Anyway. Yeah, but it's done good. It's done real well. It's just been we've been blessed. I won. I remember uh, in '72, uh, Joanne and I started dating. And, uh, and you know, it's, this is a long story and I don't want to get into it, but it took me two months to, it took me almost two months to get the first date, but it was <laughs> worth it. <laughs> and that's the truth. And you've been married how long her, now? Yeah, talking to her and going to her house every day, but it was worth it. It's 51 and a half years ago right now. Awesome. Three kids, 12 grandkids and eight grandkids later and the Lord's blessed us. Now, that's, no awesome. Doubt that's awesome. That's yeah. well, awesome. Okay. The first date we had, the first date we had on <laughs> Thursday night before this, we went bowling. I was bowling league. The next date we had was Saturday. I took her to the King and Queen of the World show at Green Forest. That next day was Easter Sunday, and after her and her mom went to church with me out at, at Bowman at Dad's church on Easter Sunday, and before her and I got out of the car that Sunday, from Thursday night's first date till that Sunday evening, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and that's been almost 52 years. So you didn't <laughs> waste much time. No, there wasn't no need. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story. Okay, now let's talk about, uh, you know, I've kind of given, I knew this was, as I said earlier, we're going to be like the cowboy that jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions here. We got a lot, yeah, of, oh, yeah. lot of stuff to cover here. You, um, once you guys got into the Walker Dogs and you got into this bench showing and all this, uh, you came up with I, this may be out of sequence but let's just go ahead and go there you came up okay. with a dog called table rock flying hawk tell me about yes, hawk how he came to be and uh and uh you know what how he was bred and and let's just talk about him for a while okay uh i i we went to a bench show at Avoca, Arkansas, that's between here where I live now, where Joanne and I live now at Greenforce, and Springdale in northern Arkansas. There was, I was showing a female called Lassiter Sugar Creek Jane, and she was out of old Sugar Creek Bugle. I was showing her in the champion show, and there was a fella there from Ada, Oklahoma. The reason he was there, his son lived and worked up by Joplin, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Well, he had come up to his sons, him and his wife had to visit, and uh, and they came down to that, to evoke it at that bench show. And, uh, and I, boy, he had a dog, and, and I mean, when he led that dog up there and put him in that bench show, Dad and me and Junior Biggerstaff all, we liked to croak. That was the prettiest hound dog of any kind that I had ever, any of us had ever seen. And and so after the show, of course, naturally, he won it. And after the show, I won best female show and he won best male show. After the show was over, dad and junior got to talking to him. And they said, and dad said, would you sell that dog? And he said, well, I don't know. And one of the guys had already told Dad and Mr. Biggerstaff that, that this guy liked to trade dogs, you know, would buy and sell dogs. 
So dad told him, he gave him his phone number at home. Cell phones wasn't even, uh, you know, they couldn't even spell cell phone back in, you know. But he gave him his number, and he told him, he said, if you ever get ready to sell this dog, we would like to know about it. We would, we would like to have a chance to buy him. Well, we come home, and about two weeks later, the phone rung. And he said, uh, is Raymond Laster there? And dad said, this is him. He said, this is Buell Byerman from Ada, Oklahoma. And to make a long story short, him and Junior Biggerstaff, he made a date, and they went out there the next week. And, and of course, Dad, he had to go kind of through the week, you know, because the pastor in the church, and he had a radio broadcast on Sunday morning in Branson, and that he went down and cut live him and Mom. But they went to Ada and hunted with Old Hawk and took Old Red Ranger, the old single rector red dog out there to hunt with him. They turned old Hawk loose twice by himself. He treated coon both times. He was about 17 or 18 months old. Turned him loose with Ranger once. He done a good job with Ranger, and they stayed all night with Buell and his wife. The next morning over the breakfast table, they bought Flying Hawk and brought him back to Blue Eye, Missouri. We lived about a mile right up above uh, on top of the hill above Table Rock Lake, a mile from the lake. It was lake on both sides. They named him Table Rock Flying Hawk, and that's 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 how right, it all started. You. And how old was he at that time, your he, dad he bought was, him? He was, eight, he was 18 months 18 old. 18 months, uh-huh. Okay, well, uh, you did you go right away? Uh, what, what did you do first with him? Show him, or did you put yeah. him in hunts, or mm-hmm. what? Dad, dad and Biggerstaff, dad and Mr. Biggerstaff bought him in both of them's name, that, uh, Raymond Lasseter and Junior Biggerstaff. And then uh, they Junior showed him, they didn't start putting him in the hunts for probably six or eight months, maybe a year, I'm not real sure. But Junior showed him, he showed him in three shows and made him a champion. And of course, you know, we couldn't, you know, they wasn't, a, if, if, you, if they was a hunt, they just wasn't any hunts like they are now. You couldn't drive across the street and go to a hunt on Friday night and go on the other side of town on Saturday night, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you might have a chance if you was blessed and lucky to get to go to one or maybe two a year. Uh, I mean, a month, you know. But uh, they they made him a show champion in three shows, and uh, and then Junior hunted him. The first hunt he hunted him in was at Huntsville, Arkansas. Down here about 40 miles south of us, we went down there, and he put him in his first hunt, and he won first place. And uh, the rest of it was just the, was just the story. Junior made him a night champion, and uh, I, I made him a grand night champion. And the night that he made a grand night champion, and I kind of get choked up sometimes when I tell this, but the night he made him a grand night champion, I made him a grand night champion was at the Walker sectional. It Ada, Oklahoma, took him back to the hometown where he was born and raised, started, and really trained in Ada, Oklahoma. And Buell Bowerman, that dad bought him and bigger staff bought him from, guided my cast the night I finished him into a grand night champion at Ada, Oklahoma. That's a great story, Junior. That That's super. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, or describe old hawk the way he operated as a coon dog well what was it like to hunt him (laughs) i thought you might ask me that whenever you turned him loose he just he he hunted 
And I mean, people, you know, people don't understand what it's like to hunt in these Ozark Mountains. There's bluffs, there's ledges, and I'm not talking about little foothills. I mean, it's a while to the top and a while to the bottom. And the big thing up here, it's rocky, rocky, rocky. These ledges, you might have to walk 200 yards to get around a bluff to come up on top to get out there where you could almost see your dogs. Fact is, I we have had to several times walk two or 300 yards or further around to pick our way up to the top of that bluff and we could see the dogs from the bottom before we started. You know, it's, that's just the way it was. But when you turned him loose, he went a-hunting. When he opened, he was running a coon. And when he got treed, he had a beautiful big bugle mouth and come in there with about two of them and sit down. And he wasn't one of them yak, yak, yak dogs. It was just like a clock ticking, about 70 a minute or 75. Just And when you got there, he if, if the other dogs wasn't crowding the tree, he'd be standing right on that tree with his front feet, just nodding that head just like a clock. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever. And we kept him till he died. He he passed away just about a week before he turned 15. When we high hunted him till he was 13. Never saw him. Never saw him offer to growl at another dog for any reason, under any circumstances, in anywhere. Never. He All he wanted to do was play and lick him in the face, even when he was old, old, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he was a pure – and run a track when he struck a coon track. He'd open a time or two here, a time or two there, a time or two out yonder. They wasn't no trailing a coon. It might take him just a little bit bit to get it figured out but buddy and caught a lot a lot of coon on the ground in these rough mountains i mm-hmm. mean yeah. caught a lot of coon on the ground okay but, well what uh, were some of the dogs that he produced junior okay uh tree tall uh table rock spot was one uh, do out of him the mother of spot was uh was one of them was a f- one of the females we bought from Ray Richardson out of Stan Sailor Jr. and old Vicky. I made her a night champion in four hunts. We called her Table Rock B. Uh, and and then uh, you know I, we bred B to Hawk, and that's where come my Table Rock Spot dog that first the first dual grand champion. You know after after old Hawk, but the uh, the first one that we raised that that I made a dual grand was Table Rock Spot, and. Uh, and then, you know, then there come uh, that little tree-talking spot dog I had. It was out of him and, and old tree-talking Julie. He, uh, I won the world show down here at Green Forest uh, with him, and he was, when he was 11 months old, fact is, I just run across just, just an hour ago a newspaper clipping that they had put in the newspaper uh, of me winning the world show with that 11-month-old pup. And it says 11-month-old pup called Lassiter's Tree Talking Spot won top honors at the World Championship Bank Show in Green Forest, Arkansas, Saturday, March 8th. And then it was on by me, you know. But, yeah. But, well, uh, that was the ACHA World Championship, right? Huh? That was the ACHA World Hunt. No. That, or was no, that no, your, your Green no, Forest uh-uh. Hunt? Mm-hmm. No. Uh-uh. Let me tell you. What happened? I started telling you a while ago. We called uh, Doc Furman. It wasn't he the he was the first. Yeah, he was the first, right? Well, yeah. And the history did. of it is uh, Chauncey Bennett founded UKC, and Chauncey's daughter uh, Frances 
yeah. married Dr. Ed Furman, and Dr. Furman ran the business for a number of years. And then, uh, you know, about the time you and I both were involved yeah. in, in the sport, and then uh, they uh, he sold it to Fred Miller in yeah. in 1973. So, yeah, Ed Furman I, would, would have been the person. I called, I called Dr. Furman uh, about the year before, the year before this, and I told him what the deal was, and we'd been running 100 plus, 121 year and 119 one year, I mean 118 one year, and I asked him, could we title that? Yeah, well, didn't the, we cover that a while ago that he asked you then later not to uh, call yeah, it the world right, championship? That's right. Yes, right. And then he yeah. asked me later not to. Sure. Well, that that's the first. That's where we come up with the world championship deal, and that's uh, that's why we called them. But that old hawk in seventy two, seventy three, and seventy four, I won king and queen of the world both with old hawk and tree talk lassiter's tree talk and spotina he was king of show king of the world and she was queen of the world those three years together and she yeah, was a daughter amazing. of his and and i come up right. with a picture had a picture there of him and her both fact is the second year we did that uh we put a made hand bills you know to pass around because green forest lions club uh helped us you know uh-huh. they helped to sponsor that. yeah and yeah. uh, we put on their handbills, we put a picture of old Hawk and Spotina I on see. the front of that handbill okay. from the year before. Well, that's yeah. pretty pretty cool. Well, I uh, hunted with the dog uh, the first, uh, maybe first or second Walker days that I uh, was at UKC uh, over in West Virginia. Uh, actually, we were hunting in, uh, I believe we were hunting in Indiana. No, it might have been the first Walker days that I attended at Rushville. There was a dog called Bigger Staff's Little Buck. Yes. And uh, Claire Chenoweth, the car dealer there from Clarksburg, West Virginia, owned him at that time. Now, did Little Buck go back to Flying Hawk? Little Buck was a direct son to Flying Hawk. I, I, I bought... Junior Biggerstaff got Little Buck as a stud feed pup from Bert Smith here in Berryville. Bert had bred his female to Old Hawk, and and Dad Junior did it because he was a neighbor, you know, and hunted with him for a pup. Dad told Biggerstaff, Dad told Biggerstaff, said Junior, we're only going to get one pup from Bert. You pick it, you keep it. He's your dog. Biggerstaff picked Little Buck out. He took him over here. And the other side of Blue Eye, and raised him up on the farm and grew him. And he was about seventeen or eighteen months old. And uh, and Junior had won the show with him up here at Greenforest. And here come a fella that heard about him, W. D. Harmon from Texas. And W. D. come up, and he was at the show, and he fell in love with Old Hawk and all this. Well, then he called Biggerstaff and asked him the next year, was he going to be at that show? Junior said, well, sure. So WD come up, and before he left, WD took Biggerstaff's little buck home with him. He bought him, mm-hmm. and uh, he he and he and made him. He put a second-place win on him down there in the hunts, uh, he, and he finished him into a grand show champion, put a second-place win on him. Well, one day in 80, early part of 82 – uh, bigger staff, uh, WD called me 
And he said, uh, Junior, uh, we're having, I'm having some problems here in the family, you know, and stuff. And, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to sell little Buck. And he said, I thought you and, uh, and your missus might be interested in buying him because you told me if I ever got ready to sell him that you'd like to know. So I said, well, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what. Can you give us two or three days to think about it and pray about it? He said, I will. So anyhow, I called him back, and I said, I didn't even ask him what he wanted for him. I called him back, and I said, what are you going to want for little Buck? He told me, and I said, okay, hold on to him because I'm going to have to go to the bank and borrow the money to buy little Buck if we buy him, but we would like to try to buy him. He said, Junior, you just take your time. So I went down to the bank and walked in there and talked to a lady that Joanne had babysitted her kids and stuff. She was the banker and we'd known her forever. And I asked her, I said, okay, this is the deal. I need to borrow some money. And she said, oh, what, can I ask you, Junior, what you're going to do with this money? And I said, sure, I don't <laughs> mind telling you I'm going to buy a coon dog. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even going to ask you to repeat that because I heard it the first time and I know it's probably the truth coming from you, Junior. And uh, so we had a little bit of money in savings and Joanne was expecting our youngest daughter, Janae. We had a little money in savings two or three months before Janae was to get here. We took that money and the money that I borrowed from the bank, and and uh, we WD bro. I told him I said now WD, when I called him, you're gonna we're gonna buy the dog, but there's a trick to this. He said, oh boy, what's that? And I said, I've got the money to buy the dog, but I don't have the money to come and get him. You're gonna have to bring him to. Me. So he said, when do you want me there? So he come the next day and brought him to me. He had a second place win. I took him to three hunts, made him a night champion in four weeks. He was a grand show champion, made him a night champion in four weeks, made him a grand night champion, took him in 71 to the NK-72, I guess it was, to the NK, no, 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 81, took him down here to the NKC World Show and hunt at Greenwood, Arkansas won the NKC World Show with Mundo Jr. and won the NKC World Night Hunt with Bigger Staff Little Buck. And and I mean that that set him on and then that next April I took him to Indiana and to to Walker Days, I think is I'm not sure, maybe Rushville or somewhere up in there. And I drew out with Claire Chenoweth and a dog that he had bought from John Monroe out of Fenner River Joe. Buck won the cast. We got back into the fairgrounds. The fact is, he put on a phenomenon. We had seen a coon sitting in a scope of timber back to the left, a going to Buck to a tree that Buck had made. They had all withdrew. And uh, we went back to that. And whenever we left that tree, Buck had the coon. The judge said, Junior, you've got eight minutes. Do you want to turn loose? You've got the cast one. Everybody else is done. And I said, Do you remember back there in that scope of timber? where we seen that coon setting up, I said, I don't think I got enough points to win the hunt. 
He said, yes, sir, I do. I said, I don't want to take him in there. I'd just like to send him. And it was probably two or 300 yards in there. I'd just like to send him from, field, from the field and see if he can do it. We sent him from that field, and he rolled back in there. And, and about a minute and a half before the hunt run out, he rolled under that thing, and I treated him, and we went back there, and he had that coon. We got back into the clubhouse to the fairgrounds and was sitting there. And all of a sudden, me and some of the guys had had some pups out of him and Mundo Jr., and we sitting there, and all of a sudden, I felt this guy put his hand on my shoulder. I turned around and looked, and it was Claire. Junior, what would it take to buy old buck tonight? And I ain't going to tell you what I said, but I turned around and gave him a figure, and he said, well, and he offered me less than that. And I said, uh, he said, I'll give X amount of dollars. And I said, well, I believe I'll just take him back to Blue Eye. I brought him back to Blue Eye, and the next Sunday morning at church, young guys there, uh, they they heard about it, and they got to tell me, Junior, you and Joanne live right on the side of 86 Highway. That's the busiest strip between Branson, Missouri, and Eureka Springs, Arkansas, one of the busiest highways in the summertime in the world. What if that dog breaks a snaps and get loose? So I I told Joanne, uh, we went hunting, and, or we went down to the farm at Mammoth Springs and come back and stayed down at Mom and Dad's. The kid was already in bed. I told Joanne, I said, honey, in the morning, I'm going to call Chenoweth and tell him that, that we'll sell him old buck. I walked upstairs, reached for the phone, and just about the time my hand got to the phone, it rang. I said, hello? Is Junior Laster there? I said, this is Junior. Or this is Claire Chenoweth. Are you ready to sell me old buck today? And I thought, boy, he's he's a real conversationist. You know, just get right <laughs> into the point. And I said, well, I said, you know, I, I might do that if if it was enough. And I priced him to him. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you a portion of it tomorrow in the mail. And if you'll bring, he knew I had him entered in Walker Days. If you'll bring him to Walker Days, and I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was, Logan's Port or somewhere up in Indiana, where it was at. If you bring him up there and hunt him for him. And he said, I'll pay you way up there and pay you for hunting. And I said, above all I know to tell you is, is to get that portion in the mail because you just bought a dog and hired a handler. <laughs> <laughs> but I sold him to him and took him up there. And then the week before I took him to him is two weeks. The week in between, I went down here to, to Bentonville, Arkansas and drew out with a dog called Big Mac. Ken Coatney hunting and I was hunting dad young dog brother DeMundo Jr. and I mean that Big Mac dog beat me upside down across the top back under the middle we got started in and of course I was rich you know I had part of that money from old buck in the bank and I said Coatney what would it take to buy a Mac tonight he told me and I said well just you want me to make this check out to Kenneth Coatney or Becky Coatney he said, well, I don't want to sell my dog. I said, you done did. I bought him, and, and he liked the first place win. The weekend in between, 
we had a hunted blue line. I took him on Friday night and won first place and took him Saturday night and won first place, finished him into a night champion, and I sold him to Claire the Saturday after he wrote me the rest of the check for Buck. He wrote me another check for Big Mac, and then he hired me to hunt him for him, and I hunted him for him for two years. Wow. Made him a grand night champion, yeah. UKC, and well, some you know, I talked to a lot of people and have for many years with my jobs at the registry. And this oh, podcasting yeah. thing has opened a whole new avenue to get to speak in, in depth with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I like, you know, and a, and a lot of uh, times the conversations are, are kind of one-sided because I don't have any really point of reference to to uh, base any comments on, but I do on Bigger Staff's Little Buck because at Walker Days, I walked along on a cast with Dale Prunty, who was handling Buck yep. for yep. Claire. After Claire got him, as people will know, you know, they had a, a van or, or whatever there, and it had Buck's name on it and NKC World Champion and all that. Claire was a good friend of mine. I, I bought several vehicles from Claire over the years. Good and uh, person. Uh, extremely uh, nice, uh, generous, very uh, well, just a, a first-class guy. So anyway, yeah. I went on the cast that night, and without getting into every striking tree, we had a cast of dogs that, you know, wanted to, to get treed real quick. And they were yeah. treeing here and there and everywhere else, and Buck was just basically ignoring them and treeing raccoons. And I saw right yeah. then that Buck was a coon dog. So I yeah. can uh, I can testify <laughs> that he was indeed a coon dog, and and it was a, a lot of fun to watch him operate. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I used to tell Claire he wasn't a flash in the pan; he was a pan of gold. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Um, okay. Well, I, I wanted to get a little bit later on. I guess I uh, wanted to talk about when we get down into some of the the night hunting and so forth, a dog that you had called Mundar. And uh, yes, I want to talk about him. But before we get to that, Junior, I wanted to talk a little bit about your uh, your career in showing dogs. I I don't know. I, I'm going to stick my neck out here and, and assume, and you know what usually happens when you do that. Uh, I've got a friend, Lee Currens, and I know you know Lee over in South oh, Carolina. Yeah. And Lee used to, used to kind of concern him a little bit when people would say, well, that, well, that show dog, he looks good, but Willie Tricoon, or do you hunt your dogs, or things like that. And of course, Lee was a coon hunter, first and foremost, that enjoyed well, sure. showing his dogs. Uh, and I'm I'm sure you probably got a lot of uh, uh, or some of that over the years uh, because oh, you were very successful showing. How did well you mentioned uh, uh, showing uh, hawk and and some of that. how did that begin for you showing dogs? Well, I, like I said, when we went down here to this little old hunt in Arkansas and met Buell Byerman, I was showing Sugar Creek Jane. And we got to breed after me back after we got old hawk. We got to breed her to hawk twice and raise some of the best pups that you ever saw. But anyhow, I just got interested. And then when we got old hawk, I couldn't help but get interested, you know. And and I went ahead and finished him into a grand show champion. And I raised a dog called Lassiter's Tree Talking Spot. 
He was out of a female that we got from a neighbor here that had come from, uh, oh, I can't think of the guy's name now, but up here in Missouri, Max Harsha, and that come from up here in Missouri. And uh, she was out of Sugar Creek, uh, she was out of Oak Ridge Shorty, which was a direct son to Johnson's banjo. And uh, and we just, I just went to show with her and made her a champion. Uh, last year, three talking Julie, but out of Julie, an old hawk come a little dog called Lassiter's tree talking spot. Buddy, let me tell you something. He was something. I won the world show with him up here at Green Forest. I, I, fact is, I got, I've got the paper clipping right here out of the newspaper that I found when he was 11 months old, and there was 157 dogs in the ship. And they was from everywhere. And uh, got a picture of me and Spot and a big old trophy, and I've still got that trophy. And my little brother was about four years old, standing there beside us, and and uh, they 15 years difference in us, so I was about 19 or 20. But I took that dog and and went and did winning with him, and it just got in my blood. And then uh, and then we bred. I, I raised a, a, a Hawk Junior last year. Uh, Flying Hawk Jr. The Alvar Ray Richards and Vicky and done a lot of winning with him. Then we took a, a female out of Old Hawk and Table Rock B. We called her B2. Took her to, to the other side of Conway, Arkansas, other side of Little Rock, and bred her to a dog called Gold Creek Mundo. That female that was out of Old Hawk and Mundo produced a dog that I, I mean, he was my heart and he was all of our hearts, the whole family, called Table Rock Mundo Jr. And uh, Jr. was a triple dual grand champion, UKC, NKC, and ACHA. I won... uh, I won the NKC World Show with him. I won the National Grand Show Champion. As far as I know, he's the winningest show dog in UK, in automotive history. He won the National Grand Show Champion in 83, won it in 85. He won National Grand Breed Champion in 82. He won overall show champion when males and females showed together in 81. Uh, And then myself and Sheila Hicks took a pair of dogs, her Terra female and Mundo Jr., and won the pairs class in 82, 83, and 84. And uh, he, and this, you know, the national grand show champion twice, I think maybe that's been done, but all of them other wins starting from a, making a grand show champion, winning national grand champion twice, the Paris class three times. And he did all of this uh, hunting three and four and five nights a week. They can tell me you can't hunt a show, you can't hunt a dog and keep them in show shape if they want to. But uh, it, it, that he kind of put that theory behind the curtain, you know. But and I, that's that's where we're at. Tree Jam and Mundar, Kyle Creel, and I've still got a picture of her in Hardin, Texas. Let me have a female that was out of Russ Beller's Demon Dog and Morgan's Penny. 
Mm-hmm. Penny was out of Banjo Jr. I took I took her out of out of Demon and Morgan's Penny and bred her to Mundo Jr. And that's where come Tree Jam and Mundar. I got you. Well, I remember very well watching you and um, and uh, the Mundo Junior dog in the ring. And uh, back in those days, Autumn Oaks, the bench show uh, for the Grand Champions was held on Sunday. Yes. Autumn Oaks was a three-day event. It started on Thursday. The be- first part of the bench show was held on Saturday. And then the finale uh, with the, I believe, with the pairs maybe and the grand champions and all that was on Sunday. And uh, I can remember how uh, uh, amazing uh, the, the, all the fanfare. And that was one of the things that I tried to bring to the shows. Uh, I thought, man, these are some of the most beautiful dogs in the world. Um, They're on display here. Uh, let's, let's make it big time. Let's, let's not just, uh, go back to the old bale of hay and throw the dog up on a bale of straw or whatever and show the dog. Let's, let's, uh, make the ring look good. Let's, uh, let's, you know, do a first class job. And I tried to do yeah. my part, but you guys are the ones that really made those shows phenomenal. You mentioned, uh, Sheila Hicks, uh, we called her squirrel. <laughs> I think yeah, her dad, Monty, her dad, Monty put that name on her, you know, and she, of course, yeah, later <laughs> married Gary Cook. And, uh, yeah. but Sheila mm-hmm. and you used to have some knockdown drag outs on the bench, oh, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> back in the day. And I remember, uh, Charlie Botkins with a dog named yes, Chip sir. that was a tough yeah. dog from back yes, in that did. era and all. But man, I mean, Junior, you just, had the gift and uh, I uh, it just uh, it was really a joy uh, for anyone that loved a beautiful animal and uh, enjoyed the the sport of bench showing to watch you in the ring it really was you know I I thank you Steve and I appreciate that and I know I've had a lot of people tell me that but there's a it wasn't all me the good lord took care of not only me and Joanne and I after she we got married on the road so many hundred thousand miles. But when the good Lord started making earth, he pushed these mountains and hollers and valleys and streams and put creeks and lakes and all that stuff in this beautiful Ozark mountain range where I live. And when you hunt a dog like I hunted, two to four to five nights a week and six nights a week and sometimes seven nights a week if dad didn't preach too long on Sunday night. But when you hunt a dog in this kind of terrain here, you know, not, it wasn't all me, Steve. I had, I, my dogs had a little bit of advantage because they didn't have to go to a treadmill or a swimming pool to get what they needed to do to get them in shape and build them muscles and put the and put the athletic build on them and tone like they got right here in these mountains. I'm telling you, it was it was it was. A <laughs> oh, I can thing. imagine. I, trying to hunt them too. I, know, I imagine that. Well, uh, you know which uh, what 
dog was, and I imagine the I know the answer to this, but what has been your all-time favorite dog uh, to show? Well, Mundo Junior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he when you I stood him up on the bench the first time, he was about six weeks old. And he would roll that tail up there, roll up on them little old marbles for feet, hold that head up there, and exactly where I put him is where he would stay until I took him down. The easiest dog to hunt and show both that I ever saw. I never saw a dog wanted to wanted to please anybody like Mundo Jr. did. I got you. Mundar, Mundar, when when I when I got him back, Mundar was a hard machine to beat. He was different than his daddy. When you turned him loose, some of that old Indiana demon and old Penny and that come out in him. When you turned him loose, he'd get in the dark. And Mundo Jr. did too. But he was used to hunting these hills and hollers, and he'd swing his and come back across that hill up this other holler. Mundar, if you headed him south, you went treed to him south. He might go down a holler or something a little bit, but now he he was a powerful hunting dog. Mundar was a hard dog to beat because he opened the minute his nose smelled a coon, his mouth flew open. And if he rolled up under a tree and give you one locate, you might not trim. If he give you two locates, you might not trim. But if he ever give you that locate, one, two, or three, and broke it off with a chop, trim before the chop was out of his mouth because he was hooked up to stay. Mm-hmm. And and would just have a coon. You know, back then, I did, we didn't even hardly know what it's like to go to a tree and not see a coon. You know, I just, that was unheard of. Well, Man. you know, and that uh, that speaks to the changes that the dogs have gone through, you know, because oh, yeah. a, as I do these podcasts and I have young hunters contact me or maybe new hunters, and, and yes. they talk about this issue and that issue with the dog's tree and the slick tree and missing the coons, all these kind of things, and I've experienced some of that here within the last couple of years with the dog. You know, that was honestly, Junior, uh, Right. We did not think about it. When we walked up to a tree with those dogs that I had down through the years, I didn't think about them not being a coon there. If no, it was, a, it might be a den tree, well, you know, yeah. uh, but I, back then my eyes were sharp, a lot sharper than they are now. And, and I felt like I knew how to find a coon. I always felt I could squall better with my mouth than I could a squaller. But anyway, uh, you know, the old thing uh, Ronnie Bone used to say, you'll find them if they're there. Well, that's the yeah. way it was. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I didn't think about uh, a dog missing unless it was a den uh, or something yeah. like that. But uh, th- th- that has changed uh, a lot. And I think we talk about that so much on this podcast. But these, the dogs nowadays hunt so hard looking for a hot coon. That they can, yeah. and they can, you can score that coon because uh, he's going to probably just uh, went up that tree over that dog's head. And, uh, you know, and uh, he, he's pretty easy to find usually. Well, let, let me ask you this then. Um, uh, what was your most important win in Junior Lassiter's heart? You know, this was the win I'm most proud of with my dog uh, down well, through the years. 
man, I was afraid you'd ask me. <laughs> There's just been, I've just been so blessed, Steve, but probably the one in the shows that I was most proud of of anything because I raised him and trained him and done it all was the first time from that podium that they took that trophy and set it down in front of Mundo Jr. as national grand show champion. Oh, yeah. That was, I mean, my my heart, <laughs> my wife's heart, I mean, that just, it's just no way of telling you what mm. that meant to me. Right. You know, I, especially when you when you you raise them, you train them, and you know, and and Mundar too. When when I won when I won uh, the NKC World Hunt, you know, uh, when when I won that, I thought, well, you know, it don't it it just can't get no better than this, and it couldn't because I done it with a dog that I had that I had raised. You know, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's just the way it was. But uh, I I just don't know. Probably in the uh, winning the NKC World Hunt and uh, and was a big deal. But winning Autumn Oak and especially after coming back and winning it twice, you know, sure. uh, that, that that has was, to be that has to be right yeah, for it, anybody. I would believe. think. Well, now and, and, by, won, and yeah. won the Paris class. We won the Paris class, Sheila and I did in 82, 83, and 84. And, and I mean, 80, 83, 80, we won it three years in a row. But the thing that got that this makes my heart thump, the year in between there that I didn't win the National Grand Show Champion from 82 to 84, Sheila won it in 83 with Tara, the female that was the pair that won the Paris class with Mundo. Yeah. Exactly. Well, 83 was my first year uh, sitting on yeah. a podium up there, uh, you know, calling the classes and so forth at UKC. So I remember that very well. Now, Junior, am I right or wrong? Didn't you win a truck bench show? In- Did you win a truck in a bench show? Have I watched, Steve? I, <laughs> I said... Did you back in the old PCA days or PKC days or oh, something? Yeah. Didn't oh, you yeah. win a pickup truck? Yes. truck? yes, I tell you what, that was with Mundo Junior. Okay, and I took him. Uh, Joanne and I did. Uh, you know, confidence is is a big thing. Whatever you're doing, you got to be confident that you're going to do something. Well, I had won the UKC World Show, as it was with Mundo Jr., and I had won Autumn Oak with Jr. Well, then PKC come up with his show at Murray, Kentucky. And in 82, I think it was, the first uh, national championship, they call, we had Little Buck. And we took Little Buck down there, and I can remember it. We had uh, we had the dogs up on the bench, you know, they had it at Murray and that fairgrounds and up on the stage and stuff where we showed them. And uh, the three dogs, I won best medal show, of course, but then the three dogs that come up on the bench for the national grand show champion was Little Buck and two females that come that we raised that come from my house. Wow. 
as puppies. Little Buck won the 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 won that that year, and and I it was a lot of money. I remember what it was, but I ain't gonna say what it was because it's a lot of money. Well, then the next year, Jarvis come up, PKC come up with these pickup trucks, and I said, okay. This is a <laughs> this is a little different ballpark here. So we went down there, and I was confident enough that Mundo Jr. was going to win that truck. That I had my brother, my little brother, to go with us. So when I drove the new truck home, he could ride with Joanne, and she wouldn't be by herself coming home driving the truck that we drove down there. <laughs> And so That's we went confidence. down there and sure, <laughs> sure enough, the Lord blessed us. And one of the things that made those wins so important does it wasn't one man's opinion. It was a panel of judges judged, and you didn't get just one judge's vote, you or one judge's opinion. You got three judges' opinion. And when you're showing in a show like that. And whenever they call him, and and of course, you know Jarvis doing it now that he's gone, it just makes it, it just makes it that much more heartfelt to me. But when Jarvis called off them winners, and and both years, Mundo Junior and Little Buck both, I got all three of the judges' votes. That that that's a special moment. But yeah, and we we went back down there a year later. This is this tell you a little bit about what how adamant I was about this hunting and showing one year later, the same weekend we drove that truck back to Kentucky, back to Murray. And when we pulled in down there where we got it the year before the truck had 67,212 miles on it in one year. Wow. That was coon hunting. I had a work truck was building motels and houses and I had a work truck that I used to work out of then that I was building here in Branson. That was hauling that dog to the Michigan State Hunt, the Indiana State Hunt, the West Virginia State Hunt, all over, all over the United States, uh, hunting and showing my dogs. And that that was that was a blessing beyond major. Now there's no doubt. That had to be the time when you were calling me all those Sunday mornings with <laughs> when you've been out yeah. hunting the night, Saturday night before and questions and stuff. I you, you used, I think you had my phone on speed dial back in those days, Junior. <laughs> I did there for a while. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great memories. I had to tell somebody, Steve, and I knew you would appreciate it. Hey, that's know? right. That's right. All right. Well, you know, there's a lot of things here that I was going to ask you, Junior. We've been at it an hour and 14 minutes already. Already. Oh my goodness. Uh, I wanted to get into uh, and we we kind of bounced around on the competition hunting and and all that and uh, just real quickly uh, in a night hunt which was has been your all-time favorite dog to unsnap in a cast in a night hunt uh, stumped you didn't probably it? probably Mundo, Mundo Jr. Uh, it's it's a real close it's a real close up between him and Mundar. Uh, they was a little different, but when you got a when you made a call, when I made a call on Mundo Junior, he was real easy. 
for me to just open my mouth for him, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It was simple to make a call because he was doing the work. The key to it was me to figure out this when to this when to, to put him on the board and when not to put him on the board, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's the easiest dog to call and hunt I've ever seen. Cause and one reason is he made very so very few mistakes. He made some, but he made very few mistakes. Now the little tree talking spot dog that I hunted, uh, you know, was out of old hawk that I told you. He probably would have could have been where Mundo Jr. was, but but I made him a night champion. And when he got killed, when he got ran over, he was 18 months old. The day after he turned 18 months old, he got run over and killed, and he liked one win being a new a dual grand champion and had already won the world show. Wow, that's pretty yeah. pretty but, amazing for sure. Yeah, it was. All right, yeah. what about? Uh, it was 1986, I believe, if memory serves me, in Marion, Indiana, that you were in the final four of the UKC World Hunt. Am I right? Tree jamming, tree jamming, Mundar. Okay. Yes. Do you have any memories of that hunt? Yes, sir, I do. All right, let's let's <laughs> hear. Got a, I've got a haunt. I've got a haunting of that hunt. Okay. All right. Uh, we we turned them loose. We turned them loose first, and uh, the dog struck. Uh, Mundar got first strike. They pulled off in a they pulled off in a draw, and two of the dogs went to the right. One went to the left, and Mundar just fell straight straight across that little old ditch, and down he went. I treed him, and we went over there, and uh, he had the coon. We sent him in. Uh, I sent him back in. They hadn't treed yet. I sent him. Yeah, they had. I, I sent him in. They got treed. I convinced myself that they didn't have a coon. That they treed the back in. Really, if you want to know, if you want to know the truth. And I could have got second tree on that coon, and I ended up going ahead and treeing him for third. That 25 points <laughs> cost me because the last time we turned loose, uh, we sent them in there deep and they went in there and, and it was just a good hunt. But, but it was just the fact that if you, if I'd, have, if I'd have made that call quicker, it would have come out different. But we, we just had, man, I'm just telling you, I can't. I I think about that a lot. We had a good hunt. We had four. We had three professionals and me out there in that cast, and and not one crossword, not one nothing of any kind except this coon dog work. And I I think about it a lot. You know, I have people ask me that, and I think about it a lot. But if I'd have just, if I'd have just, you know, I just overthought is exactly what I'd done. Well, just, we can I do just, that sometimes handling. And I I, I've, I've, hunt, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've been there. And yeah. we, we try to think about what the dog's going to do and what, you know, instead of just calling the dog for what he's doing, you know, <laughs> instead of saying, well, maybe he's got it, maybe he doesn't, <laughs> who knows. But, you know, but the dog that won that, was 
the Pac-Man dog. Uh, yes, sir, buddy. Done a fine job now, I'm telling you. That was the, the hunt, and I mentioned it on a podcast here just the other day, that convinced me that I had to go to the zone system at the at the world hunt because we yes. had so many dogs and we were hunting all the dogs on Wednesday night. Uh, every yeah. entry we had, we hunted on Wednesday night and we had to really, really uh, uh, scuffle for uh, enough judges. I, uh, you know, we, well, think about this uh, people out there at a local coon club and they're thinking about uh, putting on a big hunt and now they mostly use uh, hunting judges. We had to have two non-hunting judges on every cast. I know, Is yeah. the way we ran it in those days. Yeah. Two, you know, and yeah. we might compromise a little bit and say, well, this guy is a, a seasoned judge. He He's really good. This other guy hadn't been at it that long, but he's okay. He's honest. Yeah. He's somebody we can yeah. trust. So we could pair them that way, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we had to have two. And, and here we've got around 300 dogs or so out there on a Wednesday night and two judges on every cast. I mean, and plus a guide in some, in some cases. So that's where, where the zone hunt came about was to try to divide the entry up, moving around the country, and, you know. And it was, that, that was a good move, Steve. I mean, you know, it just, it just, it just authorized the UKC world hunt to continue. Is what because if you had it kept struggling like you was or stuff, people was gonna get disgusted and well, you can't get a guide and you can't get a judge, and if you get one, he don't know what he's doing, and yeah. all that stuff was floating around in all of our minds, you know. But mm -hmm. but when you went when you went to zone and you paired it up just the way you did this zone and that, and I mean you should probably change the lines a little bit. But that was oh, a, yeah. that was a good good thing. Well, there's been so many decisions down through the years that people would look at and say, "Well, I don't like that. I don't like the reason." But they really didn't understand the reasoning behind it, and it's no. just like the two-hour hunt. You know, we used to hunt three hours, and a lot of guys didn't like the idea of going to two. But we knew that we were having trouble coming up with enough guides out of the clubs that, that yeah. you know, and they were uh, they were uh, having difficulty having enough ground to hunt a cast uh, on, you know, for three hours and all. And now, you know, two has become one in many cases, or maybe 90 minutes. But anyway, those decisions – down through the years, there was always a reason behind them. It just wasn't a, a whim. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and part of the, and you remember back, Steve, part of the deal was, I remember when uh, when I, I, I drove to West Virginia to southeastern Walker. And I, I won up with hunting old mother. And I, when I won out there, we had to take pictures and we had to do all that stuff and you had to do all that. When I left out there, headed back to Blue Eye, Missouri, I got on Interstate 40. And when I got headed back that way, and I, I, I drove straight through, but I got headed back this, this way. And the whenever I, the last thing, I was tired, buddy. The last, I'm, when I crossed the, Memphis, the river bridge, Mississippi River at Memphis, the last thing I remember, and I shouldn't even tell this because my wife may hear this later, but I, 
the last thing I remember after I crossed that bridge was a sign that said, Welcome to Arkansas. Mm. Four and, and Palestine, 55 miles. Not very many miles after I saw that sign, the next thing I knew, uh, driving that Ford Ranger right down that road, the next thing I knew, there was a, it woke me up, a flash come across in front of me, and this sign said Palestine right across the, the, that, my side of the road. I had drove all that way looking at the road and not realizing where it was at. And the only reason that woke me up is because K.O. Grimes, I knew he'd be in there that time of the morning eating breakfast at that truck stop. And I thought, well, I can stop and talk to K.O. And when I went under that sign, I just went about 200 yards on up the interstate, crossed over the median and come right back down there and eat breakfast with K.O. But I promise you one thing. I didn't have any trouble staying awake the rest of the way to Blue Valley. <laughs> I imagine. Now, well, you know, there's a special angel, I think, assigned to every coon hunter. Uh, my oh, mother used that. to tell me when I was a kid, you know, uh, there's nothing good happens after midnight. You know, there's nothing out there but drunks or, or somebody that's sleepy. <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but of course the coon yeah. hunting kind of got me through all that, but, uh, oh, junior, uh, this has been great. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your philosophy and so forth about, uh, uh, breeding and, uh, tree and walkers. I know you've bred some really nice dogs over the years. And I look on social media and I see that you still breed, uh, and occasionally have some Walker puppies, uh, for sale, uh, how long roughly do you th- would you say you've been uh, breeding Walker dogs? Roughly? Well, when, whenever I, uh, even back with Dad, you know, with Old Hawk, but uh, but when Mundo Junior. come along. Joanne and I just kind of took it. Dad was the church, you know, and he was getting elder and stuff like that. And we just started not leaving dad out, not the, but we just started, I started thinking, you know, how to do this and what to do. I went to college. I, I graduated blue after all years. And I went to college down at College of the Ozark here in Branson or Hollister. And I hadn't thought we'd raise some pups. And I, but I just hadn't really thought about what I was doing except just breed a coon dog to a coon dog and hope you get coon dogs. You know, that's that's simplified. Yeah. But I had an ag director down there. His name was Marvin Otty. One of the sharpest, most intelligent men about genetic breeding that I've ever, ever, ever heard speak a, a, a word. Mm-hmm. It was Holstein Cattle with College of the Ozarks Dairy Herd. But I've heard him get up there in front of that class. I took every animal husbandry, every animal uh, genetics and all that stuff class that I could get in. He'd stand up there in front of the class and he'd say, Junior, listen up. If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, and if you think it's a duck, it's probably a duck, Junior. <laughs> now, listen up again. If he looks like old Hawk, and what old Hawk, when you're leading old Hawk, in a show or whatever, right out on just the very tip of his tail, about four or five inches, it wasn't crooked. He just kind of curled that one little bit over to one side. 
and, and carried it up good and high. And he'd say, if it walks like old hawk, if it's got a hawk tail, if it resembles old hawk, and if he sounds like old hawk, Junior, he's probably going to be like old hawk. And he, he, he would say, if there's a marking on a dog that you want, that's back in that ancestor, back in on that pedigree, that's what you're trying to get. If you get a pup, and now people listen to this, I want you to I want you to listen to me. If you raise a pup that's got the same markings, that's got the same actions, that's got the same walk or whatever it is, carries their head or tail the same as a dog that you would like to have again out of that pedigree. You better keep that pup, because in order for all of that to happen, and for that to happen, he's got to be carrying or should be carrying the same genetics as that dog that you're wanting. This is, he would say, like breeds like. Exactly. And if you want a dog like one of your old dogs or like a dog you've got, the daddy or mama, if you will pick out the pup in that litter that's closestly resembles the dog you're wanting is your best chance of having another one of them dogs just like that. That's Junior, the way I've done it. Yes, and I could not agree with you more. We would typically say uh, genotype follows phenotype. The physical aspects of that dog the, it goes deeper than that, and I've seen that in breeding the dogs that my dad and I did oh, yeah. down through the years, and you are absolutely spot on, and uh, man, that's good stuff, uh, absolutely good stuff. I hope you guys out there are listening. Oh, you know, I may just say one thing. Absolutely. I, this dog I've got, and I'm not pushing him, but this dog I've got, this that I, I call him Mundo. And and hawk and honey, table rock, hawk and honey's mundo. He's out of my honeycomb female. And and the hawk dog that I had that and I took a female that I won the championship with, done a lot of winning with her, even at Autumn Oak, called her Pearl, Table Rock Pearl. Uh and I and she made a night champion in five hunts with five cash with four cash wins. But I took her and bred her to this hawk dog. The, I mean, to Val Nelson's Honest Abe dog. He went back to Mundar and Mundo Jr. and White River Rick and all that stuff, which a lot of people don't know. But White River Rick, his his uh, he his mother, I raised a lot of them dogs back in White River Rick's pedigree. Them's the dogs that K.O. Grimes and I started, and Mickey Dunnar started down here. It, in in Arkansas, that that's where White River Rick come from was them, and uh, they took a female that was a granddaughter to Mungo Junior, and bred the bigger stash little buck to get uh, White River Rick's. I took a fe- a female. No, that got his mother. His mother. I took a female that was out of Tony Rogers' sure old chief dog, which was out of Old Hawk. And 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 I took her, and then whenever I made this cross with uh, Bigger Stash Little Buck, I come up with uh, his daddy, the Moon Dog. That that Moon Dog that I sold Ko and Mickey down there at the NKC World Hunt the year I won it with Little Buck. They took him and bred to a Hawk Supreme female, and Hawk Supreme 
the female that they bred Hawk Supreme to was a direct daughter to Mundo Jr. So it was all, and you can go back, you got a six-generation pedigree, you go back and look that all up, but that's the way it is. But that's where, that's what started, you know, White River Rick and all that stuff. But the bottom, them dogs was brought about by picking genetically and enhancing genetically from one dog to the next generation to the next generation. But we did it on both sides. And that and that's what it takes. And that's that's where White River It come from. And that's where all them dogs has come from. But it uh, makes you feel good. I'm just telling you, when you get, I can sit here, I've got these seven generation pedigrees and I can sit there, I've done it last night and go back through them things. And man, you talk about flooding your mind with memories. <laughs> yeah. Well, Junior, <laughs> that's, uh, it's amazing. And, and I think anyone that's listening to the sound of your voice, as we say, uh, knows that you speak from experience. Anybody that's been around for the last 40 uh, years or more uh, know that uh, you not only talk the talk, uh, you walk the walk, and the record will show. And it's been a joy, a, uh, an absolute joy to have you on the podcast today. And we're going to try to get a commitment from you here that you'll come back. We've uh, we've done just a, a little bit over our hour and a half, uh, and uh, man, it's been good. It's been good stuff. Yeah. And uh, I I just really want to thank you for coming on. You're welcome. And I'd like to say one more thing. Absolutely. If you're, if you're traveling, going to a hunt, and you're at a Saturday night hunt, and you it's a, it's a long piece, before you get home Sunday, stop and go to church, please. Absolutely. You will never regret it. I guarantee you will never regret it. I'm, I'm just telling you, it, it'll be well worth it. And I appreciate this, Steve, so much. And just if anybody's got, you know, got any questions, I'm on Facebook, this Junior Lassiter, and just don't care to, don't care to, I don't care to answer them. And, and you know, I'll just do my best to help everybody. And especially, especially, especially young kids. I mean, if young kids out there would like to message me or, or you just you just do it. I'll do any. I was a youngster once, too, and uh, nothing that would make me any happier than when I did that Timothy Ball youth camp down here with him in, in uh, Oklahoma, uh, that the best the best feeling of my life, the year after that, when I went to Autumn Oak, and I come up in the champion show with Tree Jam and Mundar. And all of us, and, and, and this kid down at the far end of the bench, about 16 years old or something, won that champion class a nine dog. I mean, we'd come down to nine to nine to nine. He won that champion class. He dropped his dog lead. He dropped his trophy. This left it sitting there. And here he come just as hard as he could come and just grab me around the waist and just grab me. And he said, Junior, I just want to thank you. If it hadn't have been for you and Timothy Ball, I wouldn't be here today. That's awesome. Now, That's awesome. Guys, you know, listen to what Junior's saying, you know. Proud now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, one of my proudest moments ever in the coon dog world right there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks for sharing that, Junior. Thanks for being on the podcast today. We wish you uh, the best of success uh, there in the beautiful Ozark Mountains of Arkansas and Missouri. And hopefully my travels will get me over that. (laughs) One more thing, Junior. Okay, buddy, go. Uh, Okay, bub. Call me back sometime. No, no, that's okay. If you got one more thing, go. Okay, We're listening. One of the best things... When I kind of stepped back, my son done a lot of winning. When my son kind of stepped back, my grandkids has done lots and lots and lots of winning. My great-grandkids, if they decide to choose to, can do lots and lots and lots of winning from that same bloodline of dogs that Dad and Junior Biggerstaff picked up when they went to Aid, Oklahoma and bought Flying Hawk in 72. That's awesome. That's heritage, folks, right yeah. there. Well, folks, yeah. that's going to wrap it up for this episode. All right, Steve. Thank you. All right, Junior. We'll catch you on the on the flip, as we used to say. Folks out there, if anybody asks you where Steve Fielder is, just tell them he's over there in the Ozark Mountains with Junior, and they've gone to the dogs. Yeah.